every dollar you make represents time that you gave up. Time with your family, time with your your community, and time doing the things that you love. Government waste is a, is a matter of life and death. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, my Liberty Kittens. Meow! No, you're not grown up yet, but if you keep tuning into this program for more great conversations about the ideas of liberty, like the one you're going to hear today, you just might grow up to be a full-grown Liberty Lion. And you are, in fact, tuning in to the 276th episode of this program, the flagship program here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. Of course, now we also have the brand new Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams coming to you every single Wednesday, as well as John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system with Felony Friday on Fridays. Something for everybody here at Lions of Liberty should be sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You can find today's show notes featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 276. And folks, be sure to stay tuned after my discussion with today's guest for our very first mailbag segment. That's right. And if you didn't know this was coming, that might mean you are not yet a member of our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. If you are on Facebook, you can join just by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in your little Facebook search bar. It should pop right up. And as long as you appear to be a real human being, we'll get you right in to join the conversation. If you're not on Facebook, there are a few other ways you'll be able to submit questions for future mailbags. And I will detail all of that at the end of the show. So stay tuned. My guest today is making his second appearance on this program, having first appeared back in episode 218 to discuss his Libertarian Senate run in New York State, in which he received 44,000 votes. But his work has not stopped there. In fact, he has doubled, maybe quadrupled his efforts. And I am pleased to welcome him back here today to discuss those very efforts. I am, of course, speaking of the great Mr. Alex Merced. Alex, are you ready to roar? Roar! How did I know? How did I know you'd be ready, Alex? Because <laughs> you're doing it every day, man. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you, you have a, a multi-month-long political campaign. November 8th comes. You get a percentage of the vote. You did not win, unfortunately, but I think you were aware that wasn't necessarily what, how this is all going to play out. And a lot of people might think, oh, all right, well, finally, finally, Alex Merced can just relax, spend some time with his wife, play some video games, not really worry about uh, politics too much. But that is not the, the path you have chosen, Alex. Instead, you have decided to just go crazy and and launch a whole bunch of other podcasts. And we'll get into those in a minute. But I guess my first question here is, is what keeps you motivated? What what keeps you pursuing the ideas of liberty and pursuing this conversation, even when you, you know, spent all this time on a political campaign. Um, one, I just really enjoy when you see people and you say something, they didn't think about it the way they thought about the way you put it. And they're like, that's a good way of thinking about it. Thank you. And then basically, especially along the campaign trail, I met so many different people that weren't libertarians, uh, people who were homeless, people who, Basically had the basic lost limbs because they had to wait so long uh, for veterans care. I met so many interesting people that just made it even more personal for me more than ever. So I'm just more really into the idea of changing hearts and minds for the purpose of creating real change in, in, in the world around us more than ever before. So the campaign only made me more sort of motivated than I've ever been. 
I mean, it sounds like for you in many ways that the, the conversation about the ideas of liberty isn't necessarily a means to a specific end. Uh, obviously, we all envision the, the grand libertarian utopia someday. But for you, it's almost like the conversation is the end. That, that, is, that is why you're in this. That is what you enjoy is, is having that dialogue and, and seeing the wheels kind of turn in the minds of other people. Very much so. Very much so. So, Alex, what kind of takeaways do you have from the Senate campaign? What was the final result? And, uh, you know, what, what did you learn in the process? Basically, my results were very unique because basically in New York, we had had a very uh, interesting circumstance. What happened is that in New York, Gary Johnson, I was actually on the ballot twice. He was actually on the ballot with the Independence Party and with the Libertarian Party. So what happens is that the Independence Party didn't also nominate me for their Senate candidate. So basically, instead, they nominated Schumer for their Senate candidate. So if you take a look at the actual results, Gary Johnson got around over 150,000 votes in New York. And over 100,000 of those votes were on the independence line. So basically, 100,000 of the votes that went to Gary Johnson in New York went to Chuck Schumer, unfortunately. Is that because they is there a lot like party voting where people just click a party and it goes straight down? Is that the reason that happened? No, it's just mostly like people who vote voted for Gary Johnson on the independence line were mostly voters who probably they weren't necessarily going out of their way to vote libertarian. They're more like voting and basically against Trump, against Hillary. So they voted for Gary Johnson the first time they saw him and didn't really care about the rest of the ballot. And the so fact just that he was kind just of listed voted. higher as an independence candidate is the only reason that he got that vote there as opposed to in the, in the Libertarian Party? Correct. So basically, he only got 50,000 votes as a Libertarian. So I ended up getting around 44,000 votes in New York. So your votes were a lot closer to Gary Johnson's Libertarian finish, which might line up with more with people who specifically went to the voting booth to vote for Libertarians, more so than people who just hated uh, Hillary and Trump and just showed up to cast a protest vote. Exactly. But it still shows tremendous growth, because basically, if you take a look at U.S. Senate runs in New York over the last 20 years, there was only one outlier. That was Norma Segal in 1992, uh, where she got over 100,000 votes, mainly because I think she was from around the Syracuse area. She campaigned there a lot. And I also think that might have been the year where either either it was the year where Howard Stern was going to be our governor's candidate, but kind of fell through at the end, or was the year that um, the guy for president, third party, Perot was running for president. So th- that kind of gave her a lot of momentum. So that's the highest vote total for a Senate race. But every other Senate race, pretty much the last 20 years, you take, you're looking at like 25,000, 26,000 votes. So 44,000 votes, despite the ballot issues, is still a huge growth in sort of actual libertarian votes in New York. So it was a, a pr- overall um, very pleased with the growth. I mean, again, the big goals in 2018 where we need to get 50,000 votes to have ballot access. And I mean, pretty much for as long as we've been libertarians here in New York, we've struggled to get 50,000 votes in a governor's election. Just to give you as an idea of what an uphill battle libertarianism is in New York. Because I mean, we're a state of millions, like over 12 million people, actually 20 million people, and 50,000 is a struggle. Is so that what they base the, uh, really the, the ballot access on? Is it the, that governor's race? Correct. Basically, in New York, the only way to get ballot access is to get 50,000 votes for governor. And the closest we got was in, forget the exact year, was not because the last time was 2014. So that means it must have been 2010 when Warren Redlick won. And he got, I mean, ran and he got uh, 48, 47,000 votes and was fell short partly because Kristen Davis kind of took away from some of his vote total in that race. And if people don't remember who Kristen Davis was, she was the madame in the whole Elliot Spitzer scandal. So that was we missed that. And then the next time we we were a little bit less, a lot less than that. And then this time 
we'll see because hopefully Larry Sharp will be running in 2018 and we'll finally cross that 50,000 uh, vote threshold. Well, there's certainly some hope there. And Warren Redlick, he was actually a, a recent guest on John Odermatt's Felony Friday show. So I'll, I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes for today's program. And uh, he actually ran a pretty interesting campaign. Uh, he actually had a very simple slogan. I believe it was something as basic as just stop wasting money. Three words. Everyone knows what it means. Uh, you don't need a deep, you know, 30 minute explanation of what that what he's trying to say there. And, and on that program with John Odermatt, he actually attributed, you know, his success, his relative success, like you said, that was the most most votes that anybody had gotten in a governor's race, the closest you guys had gotten to achieving that ballot access. And uh, you know, he attributed a large part of that to his simple message. So uh, do you have any kind of tips on how you were able to sort of simplify your message to, to a broader audience? Yeah, I mean, I tried to keep it simple. Basically, we tried to focus on partly on the issues. I focused mainly on basically taxes, the drug war, and foreign intervention. And I basically tried to keep it to a very our slogan was the pro you message. So very focusing on you, but also I I ran on the whole idea that would be thoughtful, accessible and transparent. But more than anything, I think it was just more just talking to people, everyone who I I met instead of really kind of giving them a long spiel, I'd spend time listening to them, hearing their story. And the more you listen to people, the more they connect with you. And I think that was a huge part of how we did, how we got some of the response we did because we weren't, we traveled the state, but again, we're, we're talking about a small campaign. We raised $14,000, which is still a higher watermark for a U.S. Senate campaign for a Libertarian Party. But with, with those resources, we went out, we met people literally face by face, hand by hand. And a lot of it was just listening and having a discussion with people and connecting with the people we met. Now, you know, other other candidates that got the millions of dollars to be doing the TV ads and stuff to be reaching uh, larger audiences, but we were able to connect with a, with a lot of new people. And I feel I've seen a lot of new enthusiasm for the party across the state. And not just in part to my campaign, but in part to Gary Johnson's campaign, part to just the, nat- the, we- the just the weirdness of 2016. There's a lot of optimism in New York. We have a lot of room to grow, but we're growing. When you talk about connecting with people and sort of finding common ground, what are some of the issues that you present to people from a libertarian viewpoint that you saw kind of set some light bulbs off where they might not have thought of that perspective before, but they go, okay, well, maybe I'm just a regular guy. I don't think about politics too too deeply, but what you said right there, oh, what you said right there, that resonates with me. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah, mostly the idea of time. The idea is that when I, I make the point that every dollar you make represents time that you gave up. So when the government taxes you an extra $20, that's extra time you have to work. That's extra time that you're not spending with your family, not extra time that you're not spending in your community, uh, extra time you're not spending with your hobbies. So if I could lower your taxes $20, if I could change government policy so that way your health care is $20 cheaper or change government policy that way tuition doesn't grow so fast in price. And same thing with housing prices, which all because of government policy are growing at, at huge rates. Not only am I saving you money, but that money translates into time with your family, time with your your community, and time doing the things that you love. So it's a matter of essentially really, you know, government waste is a, is a matter of life and death. I think that's such a great approach because you're not, at least on your first meeting with people, you're not necessarily going to try to hammer their heads with libertarian philosophy or or getting into the weeds on a complicated subject like, say, intellectual property. You really just want to show them that you you understand them and that you understand their concerns. And when you approach it from that angle, I mean, almost everyone in the world can relate to not having enough time. I mean, every single day, all I th- all I think about is I look at the clock at some point and I, got, and I just think, oh my God, I still have so much more I wanted to do today. There's not enough time. 
time. And I, and I don't even have kids or a family that, that I'm kind of, you know, fighting for time to spend with. So I can't imagine people that are out there that have five or six kids that have to work their asses off just to support their family. And when you approach them with that issue, by just coming at it from how much time is being taken away from you, not how much money, but what that money represents, which is time in your life, time away from your family. I think that's, that's such a unique, a unique approach. And I, I'm not surprised it resonated with people. Yeah, you know, I, I, I always found it to be very compelling. And I mean, especially in New York, where basically the cost of living is crazy because we are one of the more regulated, one of the more taxed states where time really does come at a premium because everyone's really just working dust till dawn just to get by. It's pretty crazy. At one point in your campaign, Alex, you actually had a debate, I believe you had more than one, uh, with the Green Party candidate. And I, I found that really interesting because that was something that you guys came together on on your own. You decided you wanted to have this debate together to sort of get some of those ideas out and reach out to your, your common supporters. So why don't you just tell us how that came about and, and what kind of takeaways you had from that conversation, both you know with the Green Party candidate herself as well as just other Green supporters you met, and what kind of common ground can we find with people that – you know, that have that kind of idea. They, they, maybe they're green, they're socialist. That's that's the kind of ideas in their head, but maybe they're not hardcore and they're not, you know, they're not all Fidel Castro out there. A lot of these are just good people who have different ideas than us. Oh, yeah. So uh, Robin Laverne Wilson, she was my uh, Green Party opponent, and uh, she usually goes by the moniker Dragonfly. Now, what happened is that there was only one debate, and that one debate was held at Union College in Schenectady, and they held it on a Sunday night, same time as football. Basically, it was just a debate so that way Schumer can – so that Schumer doesn't have to answer accusations of he didn't want to debate Wendy Long, who was the Republican candidate. But basically they said you can only be part of this debate if you polled – I think it was like 5 percent in a poll. Yet no, there were no polls that included me or Robin Laverne Wilson. So systematically we were excluded. So basically we kind of tried to shame them into including us. And when it became clear that they weren't gonna, Time Warner wasn't going to budge, we ended up uh, – contacting each other and, and working together to try to organize a couple debates on our own. And we ended up doing two debates, one on a podcast by the name of Pantsuit Politics. So we did that was our initial debate that we did uh, over Skype. And that was fun. That's an, that's an hour long. That's on the uh, Pantsuit Politics podcast. And then the second one we live streamed and it was live streamed to actually uh, Jill Stein's Periscope page. Wow, so that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And then also was a live stream to the the New York Libertarian Party Facebook page, and then also to the New York Green Party Facebook page. And uh, it got I think it ended up getting like over a couple hundred thousand views when it was all said and done. Um, so it got a, a, got a wide reach, very positive response. Everyone liked that. We were nice to each other. We kind of got along. We joked around with each other. We weren't hostile towards each other. We expressed our differences. Uh, there was very clear contrast, but overall it wasn't, it wasn't a hostile debate whatsoever. And uh, there was also some funny moments like at the beginning of the debate, my collar was a little flipped. Later on, Robin, she decides to sing for a little bit. So there's, there were some good moments. Yeah, and I, and I think one takeaway I really had from that debate is that, you know, like you said, it didn't really feel like a debate. It, it really just felt like a, a friendly conversation. And, you know, I, I, at the beginning, I was almost worried that it would be too friendly, you know, that you're not just, just going to, you know, gloss over each other's positions, but you're able to really confront the differences that you had, but do so in a respectful way, just like regular people want to be spoken to, but not in the way that politicians address each other typically in political debate, not in the way that politicians typically address their constituents, which is really, in many ways, talking down to them, telling them, we know what's best for you. That's why you have to listen to me. But that's not the way you approach things or, or how Robin approached things at all. You were really trying to speak to each other and speak to your constituency uh, in both situations as as actual human beings. 
Yeah, no, I mean, basically the idea is it wasn't about, okay, who's better, me or Robin? It was more about, okay, let's have a discussion about what affects New Yorkers and what 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 are possible solutions and what should be a priority for, for the people of New York. And in that, it was great. And, me, and again, me and Robin over the, the time became good friends. I mean, afterwards, we went and grabbed some food and we hung out. It was good times. It was overall a worthwhile effort. And I see, I still see Robin live streaming with Jill Stein here and there. Uh, I think she's been mainly spending time over there at the with the Sioux tribe, uh, with the Standing Rock protests. I'll, I'll see her doing live streams with Jill Stein regarding that. But we're both still active in our, our respective parties, and uh, we're going to stay in touch. And I've been trying to build bridges with the Green Party so that we can both work towards trying to make changes regarding a lot of the barriers as far as ballot access, uh, voting, vote, basic voting method, and other changes that could happen in New York that could give parties like both of ours a little bit more of a chance to make an impact. Yeah, and obviously... Uh... It shouldn't be a problem at all with for libertarians to come together with people from the Green Party when it comes to basic issues such as ballot access, being allowed into debates. I mean, I think uh, people of all political persuasions that don't subscribe to that Democrat and Republican line of thinking, they would all like to see those kind of things from from lesser parties or from independents and, and that sort of thing. But I, I'm curious what kind of common ground you might have found philosophically, maybe not specifically with Robin, but just with other people in the Green Party, people that sort of lean that way. What is some common ground that you can see uh, people? People of that persuasion that would typically lean towards the Green Party, what kind of common ground do you see libertarians could easily have with them? You know, I, f- I found that as I elaborate, especially on stuff regarding economics, where they had views. So a lot of people in the Green Party, they had very passionate views about inequality and whatnot. A lot of them don't necessarily know the depth of how that inequality is created. So when I in the debate where I talked about, I pointed out a couple different arguments, but one argument that I pointed out that I think resonated with my opponent was one about the Federal Reserve, just talking about how the Federal Reserve and monetary policy can contribute to inequality. Because when you have inflation, price inflation, monetary inflation, you're devaluing cash, which is essentially the vast majority of the wealth of most most people, because wages make up the majority of their wealth while it transfers it to the value of assets, because the prices of houses go up, the prices of stocks go up. But that makes up the bulk of very few people's wealth. So you're really transferring it up in a sense. So it kind of has a sort of a trickle up effect when you're basically transferring value from cash assets. Not that assets should never go up in price, but assets should go up in price because they're more valuable, not just because you printed more money. And that, I think, resonated with them and had them think a little bit more is that maybe we shouldn't be thinking around because I also pointed out that it's typically oftentimes progressive who are pushing low interest rate policy. And it's low interest rate policy that usually leads to inflation and that sort of trickle up effect and that can create inequality. And I think an important thing there, Alex, is that you start not by just saying, no, you're wrong, you're stupid. You start by agreeing with them. You start by recognizing, yeah, I agree. There are a lot of inequalities in our economy, just like you point out. Now, we might not agree on all the specific numbers they might have in their heads or whatever. We might think some of those are, are skewed. But the point is, you're, you're not coming out attacking them for their beliefs. You're saying, I agree, the system is wrong. And then you're taking them in a slightly different direction and trying to you know point them down your path, as opposed to just hammering them on the head and saying, oh, you status, you don't know what you're talking about. Agreed. I've never found telling anybody that they're wrong as a good way of uh, making an argument. I always start off by saying how basically I try to always identify what is it that they really have a problem with? What is the core value that that this issue is rubbing them the wrong way? And then try to align that value with sort of libertarian propositions. So instead, I'm not trying to get them to embrace my values in one conversation, but if I can show them how their values can still line up with uh, libertarian positions, when you look at it in the right light, 
you can start getting people moving in that direction. And then they start moving more holistically as they look more into it. All right, Alex. Now let's break down some of what you're actually doing here right now. You have gone podcast bananas, man. <laughs> you are, you have a ton of different <laughs> podcasts that you are, you've started. Some of, some of them are continued from before. Uh, I know the Alex Merced cast you already had going on. So why don't you just break down, heck, break down each and every one of these podcasts you got going on and, and maybe touch on a little bit of what, what kind of flavor you, you want to bring out there um, with these shows. So why don't you start with the Alex Merced cast? That's a show you already had going on you know, prior to this, this little surge here. <laughs> Yeah, no, I basically, I've kept busy. The minute that the campaign ended, actually the very first thing I did is I created two websites because I started anticipating the 2017 elections. So before I get into the podcast, what happened is I created libertarianNYC.com as a, just a general libertarian New York City website. And then I also ended up creating the website for the Bronx Libertarian Party, which is forming right now. So I kept busy and then I started working on all these podcasts. Now, the Alex Merced cast is a podcast I've had. I started it late 2015 around the same time that I started libertarianwingmedia.com. And the Alex Merced cast is just, is just basically my all-around main podcast. I'm switching over. Before, it was just basically commentary, just kind of what I thought, when I thought about it. During the campaign, I just used it to kind of deliver campaign communications. But I've decided to focus it a little bit more and sort of make it more of an interview-style show. So I'm having people on every week. So basically, this should be airing at the beginning of 2017. So, at the, so that means the episode with Larry Sharp, which was December 30th, has aired. And if you haven't listened to it, please do. We had a delightful conversation about Airbnb and Uber and just sort of how government regulations can really choke a business. And we actually and then what we did, we actually ended up doing two interviews. OK, Larry's always been a huge help. Uh, when it came to the campaign, helping me with messaging, because when I was just not even not even a candidate, I was just a candidate to be the candidate for the nomination. Larry helped me form my messaging, make the approach to win the nomination to become a candidate. And based on when we did this interview uh, for the podcast, we did one initial interview and it was like, you know what, I think we can do a better interview. We ended up scrapping the first interview and doing a second interview, which is the one that aired. The second interview is available, but we put it in a special group. So if you want to hear that second sort of hidden Larry Sharp interview is in a special Alex Merced cast group that people can join if they become uh, supporting listeners by going to uh, patreon.com slash Alex Merced. Now, that's the first podcast. The second podcast, which I think is starting to really kind of catch on, is Breaking Progressives. So these next five podcasts, I was trying to create more focused niche podcasts. So what Breaking Progressives did is I took a cue from a Contra Krugman with Tom Woods, where Tom Woods and Robert Murphy. It's funny you say that because that's the first thing I was thinking when I when I listened to your show. I was thinking, oh, he, he's basically doing Contra Krugman, but not focused on Paul Krugman and expanding it more to just general progressive writing. Exactly right. So basically, the idea is every week I find an article from some progressive website like truthout.org or Alternate or the Daily KOS that boils my blood and then tear down its narrative. So one of my favorite ones uh, that should have aired towards the latter part of December is one. This is actually was an NPR piece where they're breaking down this uh, study on inequality. And the assumptions that the study made were just really bizarre. So I just went on for like half an hour just explaining what's wrong with the assumptions, how. And then also it was all based around the idea that this generation is not going to do as good as the last generation. And I challenged that idea and I point that out all sorts of different arguments and facts to really sort of break down that idea. So that was a really fun one. And then basically that's a weekly one. We break down progressive narratives. That's what it is. So whether you're a conservative or a libertarian or just someone who wants to see your progressive ideas challenged, 
that's a good podcast just to kind of see what is the counter argument to progressive thinking. Yeah, and, and again, you take that a similar approach to the one that you take when speaking to you know Green Party candidates or people that don't see things from a libertarian perspective. You're not doing this to say, look how stupid these progressives are. You're saying, okay, here's their perspective. Here's where we dis- here's what I agree on. Even you you can point out some things that they might be right on, and then show why you actually see this going in a different direction, or, or you know why there's a different philosophical take on it. Uh, it's, it's really a similar approach, I think, in many ways that that to, you've, to the way you've approached people of uh, you know of different political persuasions. Uh, in your political campaign oh agreed yeah it's basically i i'm not good at being mean so generally it's always about a sort of a nice thoughtful approach there's that and then the next podcast would be libertarian comments this is not so much a podcast of me recording new stuff but what happened is that i've been doing youtube videos and media for the last since 2008 since january 2008 i've been doing videos and online media so what i'm doing is i'm going back to all those old videos i did taking the audio from them and making them into a podcast. So that way you can really kind of see my intellectual evolution from the days when I'm sitting there advocating for Ron Paul back in 2008 and advocating for the gold standard to nowadays when I'm more advocating more a free market, whatever, free market of money kind of position. And uh, it's kind of cool to watch. So now going back and listening to my old recordings, I'm like, certain good points I made, I've totally forgotten, haven't made in a long time. And then there's certain points where I make it that are completely like wrong. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I learned better. And it's kind of fun to watch and see how I evolved. It's got to be an interesting journey because I I tell you, I listen to early episodes of my podcast of this show and I just, I just cringe sometimes. Not that my ideas are terrible. uh, It's just, you know, you're rougher at it when you first start out speaking publicly like you started to do on YouTube several years ago. And it's always an interesting process going back and listening and, and seeing how you might word things different now or, or even some things you might have a totally different take on. Oh, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's fun to listen to. So there's that one. And then there's a couple of non-libertarian podcasts. I created uh, Better Today. This is sort of more like of a motivational self-development type podcast where I just talk about they, basically the way I think about living a better life is I, I always focus on developing four areas of my life, relationships, skills, knowledge, and health. So health, relationships, knowledge, skills. If you spend every day focusing on those areas, your life's going to be better every day. And that podcast just talks about how to achieve that, how to do that, helps create like analogies and and metaphors to help you just kind of motivate yourself. So it's more of a motivational type podcast. There's like, that one. Like the libertarian Tony Robbins. Yes. Yes. Except Larry Sharp does a lot better at being the libertarian Tony Robbins than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the next one is podcast and vlogging tips and tricks. So basically that one is just about, it's just to help people who are looking into podcasting because the barriers to entry on podcasting are really low. A lot of people think you have to buy a whole bunch of equipment. You have to pay for a really expensive hosting. But I walk through a lot of tricks to do it on a budget and what you can do if you want to upgrade and, and make a more sophisticated podcast. But just kind of really give all the tips and tricks that I've learned over the last few years as far as creating content and then also marketing the content and monetizing the content and using social media to syndicate the content. Basically, everything I've learned over the years in online media is going to be kind of distributed there for people to apply to anything. All right. We got a couple more here. I think one of them is uh, your Libertarian Public Access channel. What's that all about? Oh, yeah. Libertarian Public Access. This is an idea I'm really excited about. So this is less of my podcast more than it's everybody's podcast. The idea is to basically create a Libertarian Public Access channel. A lot of people don't necessarily want to start their own podcast, but maybe have something to say here and there. So the idea is to create a podcast where anybody can submit audio and I'll post it. 
And basically anyone can listen to it and kind of hear what libertarians all across the world may have to say on this issue or that issue. So if anyone ever wants to submit an episode, all, you just send me an MP3 over there at Alex Merced at alexmerced.com and I'll post it. It's that easy. That easy. It's really that easy. And then I think there might be one more. I Economics, think that might be. Why not? Oh, I believe is the last one we got. Oh yes. See, I'm starting to forget my you own. You can't even keep track of your own podcast. That's how. <laughs> that's how podcast bananas are going. Yes, and the last one is just a pure economics one. Because the idea was to create a couple of non-libertarian focused ones, or now that are not marketed towards libertarians, so that way I can reach some people who may not necessarily be traditional libertarian listeners to, you know, get to know them and then maybe move them into the more libertarian podcast down the road. And uh, the economics why not is just basically more of an educational podcast where I talk about different economic concepts each week. So instead of really talking about economics in a more political way, I'll just explore like what is marginal utility? Who is Cecil Pagu? And just a educational, fun economics podcast. And that's great so because that's not, cool. not everybody's going to be on iTunes or on Google searching liberty or libertarian, but a lot of people are out there searching economics and searching for economics podcasts, and maybe you'll find some of those people stumbling upon your work and getting interested in it, and then maybe leading into the, the libertarian stuff. So there's a lot of different angles uh, that that people can find to get into libertarian ideas, and and by having this economics based podcast, that just creates another possible way people might find find those ideas. You got it. That is just the cast of wide net. I've always taken the the long tail approach. And on that note, people can also check out my Facebook page. Uh, because I've been doing a lot more live streaming than I used to. So basically, there's all sorts of opportunities to have conversations and ask me questions live. So if you like the Facebook page, live I've been doing regular live streams and same thing, YouTube channel, always putting out new videos as well. It's a lot of content. Great stuff, Alex. Well, wh one question that just comes up before I let you go here, uh, when, when discussing everything you got going on, it's something you mentioned <clears throat> at the very beginning of this interview when you talk, you're talking about how you discuss libertarian ideas with people, and that is you bring up this issue of time. So I know what a lot of people are wondering out there is, you know, you have a job too, Alex, you have a wife. How do you find the time to do all this? And I think that's actually something, you know, I, I joke, but at the same time, I think finding time and making time in our life is actually a, a very valuable skill. So I actually am curious how you manage to carve out little niches of time here and there to get all this stuff done. My smartphone is my best friend. Like I literally use my smartphone to do everything. Like a lot of the images and memes that I share are made with my smartphone. Pretty much all of my podcasts are recorded through my smartphone. Even the intro music for a lot of them are made with my smartphone. So I'm able to do a lot of this stuff on my commute. Or, I, or if I find a lull at work, sometimes I, even that uh, allows me to get some stuff done. I mean, that being able to find ways to multitask and be able and being able to do stuff mobily allowed me to find all sorts of time that I didn't, wouldn't otherwise have to get a lot of this done. Now, when it comes to recording audio, it's that can be a little bit more difficult because you got to find time when it's quiet and whatnot. And then with video, you also have to make sure that you know you, you shaved and put on something presentable. Especially in but, New York uh, City, it's hard to find quiet ever. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's why in a lot of my podcasts you can hear sirens in the background because right. I'm in the middle of Brooklyn. But. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's what I do. It's all about it's all about my cell phone. Having all sorts of different audio software, video video editing software, and stuff like that on my phone. While I have all the Adobe stuff on my computer, and I'll you know use that as well. My phone has really enabled me to get a lot done. I can write blogs on it. I can do everything from live stream from it. Keeps me productive twenty four seven. 
Well, Alex, I do appreciate you coming back on the show. One of my goals for 2017, just like you, we're not we're not slowing down now that all this political stuff is out of the way because it's never really out of the way, first of all. But second of all, like you, we feel that advancing the ideas is really the most important thing and the political stuff is generally going to follow from that. Uh, so that's what we're continuing to do here at Lions of Liberty. And one of my goals is to continue to highlight other people out there and the work they're doing to advance the ideas of liberty. And uh, like I said, you're going podcast bananas, man, and you're, you're, you're having no shortage of of creating new avenues and new ways to advance those ideas. So I appreciate all the work you're doing for Liberty, Alex, and keep up the great work. Well, of course, we'll link to all the podcasts you mentioned and everything we discussed during the show today. Before I let you go, do you just want to give all the listeners out there the quick roundup of uh, the easiest way they can go, the easiest places they can show up to find links to all your work? Bottom line, the easiest way to find the podcast is just actually search my name. Just search Alex Merced in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And on YouTube, because so, I post a lot of the episodes on YouTube as well, like my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash LP. And you can always just go to alexmerced.com and find links to all sorts of stuff I'm doing. And we're always looking for new writers over there at libertarianwingmedia.com. It's basically a little libertarian news site where anybody can post. So if you would like to be a writer, just email me again, alexmerced at alexmerced.com. You can become a contributor to libertarianwingmedia.com. There's no commitment as far as how many articles you need to write or when you need to write them. It's just a place where you can post your opinions when you want. And also tell all your friends about the Lines of Liberty. I love Lines of Liberty podcast. I love Johnny Rocket Launchpad. I love the Rims of Republic, Jason Stapleton, all wonderful podcasts that everybody should be listening to. Well, thanks so much, Alex. And, you know, I'll, I'll send it right back to you. You you recommend my show. I recommend literally all six of yours. So please go <laughs> ahead and check out everything that Alex is doing. Like I said, we'll link to it, all of the show notes for today's program. You can also just search Alex Merced and you should be able to find it all. So Alex, thank you for joining me today. Keep up the great work and keep on roaring. Thank you very much. And I'll keep on roaring. Thank you. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Alex Merced. And if you don't subscribe to all of the shows that he's doing right now, heck, at least check out one or two of them, and we will link to every single one of them over in the show notes for today's program, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash 276. And like I said, it's one of my goals in 2017 to highlight some of the great work that so many out there in the liberty movement are doing. And there are not many people you can find who are doing more day in and day out to spread the ideas of liberty than Alex Merced. Now, another Liberty resolution I've made for this year is to get you, the listener, more involved in this program. And one way we're going to do that is with some listener mailbag segments in which I will answer a few short, concise questions from listeners. I'm not looking to go on super long rants here, but that doesn't always work out. So we'll see how that goes. I've been known to rant a little bit in my day. So you can submit questions in a few ways. Uh, the best way is to join the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Again, you can join just by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in your little search bar in Facebook. It should pop right up. And as long as you appear to be a real human being, we'll get you right in there to join the conversation. If you're not a Facebook guy, you can hop on Twitter and you can tweet to us at Lions of Liberty. And you can also email me a question. You can email those to Mark, M-A-R-C. Don't put a K in there, guys. Mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. You know, we also need a lot of stuff for this mailbag segment. This is just one I just kind of threw together on a fly. But, hey, we could use a little jingle. We could use maybe a name for the segment. We could use a graphic. We could use all sorts of stuff. And I'm looking to you guys, the listeners. Again, post stuff in the forum. Post suggestions over there. Shoot me an email. Hit us up on Twitter. We 
really want to get you involved in this conversation and make this a show for you and in many ways by you guys. And without further ado, it's time to get into the very first Lions of Liberty mailbag segment. And we're going to start with a question from Rory Seely. He asks, do you have any ideas on at least minimizing the inside fighting in the LP? That's referring to the Libertarian Party, for those of you not in the know. Specifically, the notion of a Libertarian litmus test. I think it's bunk myself. Well, it's an interesting question, Rory. And I'm going to start by kind of rejecting the premise in a way, I guess. And uh, by that, I mean, I don't think infighting is necessarily a bad thing. I mean, any political party, any political movement, there's going to be a lot of disagreements, uh, not only on philosophy, but on strategy. And there's no other way to really sort those disagreements out other than by having the conversation. Now, there's different kinds of infighting. There's productive infighting. And to me, productive infighting is, you know, a rational debate over ideas, a rational debate over the application of philosophical ideas to our current political climate. These are all valid things that need to be discussed. I think when it becomes unproductive is when it just turns into name calling or people refusing reflexively jumping into an argument without fully understanding what it is. And I think, obviously, we can see a recent example from the sort of furor that came up over my recent interview with Nicholas Sarwark when he suggested that some of Ron Paul's positions weren't entirely philosophically libertarian, including his leaning on the idea of states' rights from some of his arguments. And I don't want to get into that whole debate right now, but I, I think a lot of the anger and fury that comes out from that comes down to not the actual argument itself, but many people saying, oh my God, you've insulted Ron Paul. Oh no, you can't do that. What a scumbag. And then the other side of that saying, oh, Ron Paul has done nothing for the liberty movement. He's terrible. We got to support the LP. I mean, no matter what side you're coming from, it, it ceases to be productive at some point. So uh, I think infighting is productive if done in a well, productive way to be repetitive. But, you know, when we go off into little side tangents and we're not really talking about serious ideas, but rather just mudslinging and arguing over personalities, uh, that's when it can be unproductive. As far as actually curbing that, well, the only thing I can really say to that is that you've got to be the change you want to see in the world, to quote Mahatma Gandhi. And if you don't like the tone and of the conversation and of the dialogue, you've got to insert yourself and drown out the nonsense with a more rational dialogue and a more rational tone. But in terms of just stopping infighting, that's an impossible task. The only thing we can hope to do is, is steer the quota fighting to a productive conversation. All right. The next question is from Sterling Davis. Sterling asks, if you could go back to the LP convention and change the results, would you? And if so, to who and why? That's a very interesting question because, you know, look, we can all say hindsight is twenty twenty. Yada, yada, yada. We do have to accept that if we're just talking about advancing a political party and getting more votes, by that metric, Johnson and Weld did have a good campaign uh, compared to libertarian campaigns of the past. At the same time, I think we all understand the criticisms of Gary Johnson and Bill Weld uh, from the libertarian perspective. They clearly were not really out there trying to communicate a full philosophy of liberty. In many ways, they said many things that ran counter to the philosophy of liberty. And when I look at a libertarian campaign, what I want to see is someone who can articulate the ideas of liberty uh, in a way that people can understand and, and get people interested and excited about the ideas of liberty. Uh, so it, it remains to be seen how the Johnson-Weld campaign affects people in that way. Uh, it has created some general interest, but the argument being a monkey could have created general interest against Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And, and was this opportunity capitalized on? I don't know if it really was. But for the purpose of this exercise, 
Yeah, I, I think I would change who it is, mostly because I think we could have seen a lot more interesting campaign. And there's a couple options if we're going to be realistic about who it would have been besides Gary, those two being Austin Peterson and John McAfee. And because this is a hypothetical, now you can say Austin Peterson has excited people. He definitely has, that he has a better understanding of the inner workings of the ideas of liberty. But for a pure entertainment aspect, and I know he would have bought a lot of controversy, a lot of baggage along with the Belize stuff and the, the murder accusations. That might not have been the best politically for the Libertarian Party, but I really would have loved to see John McAfee out there campaigning. I think he would have had some obviously very different responses. Uh, I think he would have gotten mainstream media attention uh, as an alternative to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Whether that would have been beneficial for the ideas of liberty, I don't know. But as we discussed, as many defenders of Johnson & Weld have said— you don't need to generate a pure philosophical discussion. You need to generate attention and interest and get them over to the LP where that conversation can be furthered or get them over to libertarian podcasts like this one where that conversation can be furthered. So I would like to change it just because, heck, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun to watch John McAfee out there campaigning against Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton actively for a few months as opposed to the, the stick your tongue out, uh, you know, where is Aleppo? What is Aleppo, Gary Johnson stuff? I think so. All right, and for my last group of questions here, that's right, I said group of questions because Jonathan Hubbard posted a few of them, but I think I can hit through them pretty quick. So I'm going to let Jonathan Hubbard uh, put me through a little speed round here. So Jonathan Hubbard asks, first, what do you think about the problem of political labeling? I think it's a major problem. It's one reason I never start a conversation with, I'm a libertarian, therefore, because as soon as you put that political label out there, it conjures up all sorts of preconceived notions that people already have in their head about that label, and it can really hinder a conversation. So I'll just try to start finding common ground with people before I even consider bringing up the term libertarian or really any other political label, because as soon as you bring up the labels, as you know, things start to get crazy, and it really can derail uh, an otherwise possibly rational conversation. Uh, he also asks, why did you decide to become politically active? Uh, that's a great question, because I had these political beliefs for many years. I, I followed the writing of Ron Paul uh, long before he ever declared for president, and I had interest in libertarian ideas before them, but I didn't really pursue them in an active way. I wasn't out there trying to convince anybody else of anything. But it really was uh, Ron Paul's political activism and his presidential run that inspired me to speak out because what I saw in Ron Paul's run when you know when he confronted somebody like Juli Rudy Giuliani over the idea of blowback, I mean, just that moment, seeing someone speak the truth or what he sees as the truth and to do so boldly, especially in the face of being condemned, being mocked, that really inspired me to to go out and speak out more about my beliefs. Just the, you know, without getting into the minutia of Ron Paul or my beliefs, uh, just that mere fact of the, the bravery I think that he showed uh, by taking a lot of the bold stances, by saying things like, yeah, of course we should legalize heroin on a national stage, things you just don't say. That really did inspire me to speak out and maybe start saying some equally unpopular things. Jonathan also asks, what is your favorite historical period? Uh, I think that's a really tough one. I find history fascinating, um, especially ancient history. But I, I think that period that still really interests me to this day is is kind of that era are surrounding the American Revolution. I mean, it's the, it's the first time we really did see any semblance of the ideas of liberty, of individual rights, sort of manifest themselves politically. And in many ways, as Ron Paul has pointed out, many aspects of our founding documents are libertarian in nature. They at least do. Obviously, things have changed a lot since then, especially in how the government is run and the interpretations of the Constitution. But the general idea uh, based around the concept of 
of in choosing our own fate, uh, the Declaration of Independence, these concepts being manifested politically, I think is such an interesting concept. And I really do find writing and all sorts of analysis of that period to this day to be uh, to be very fascinating. And finally, Jonathan asks me if I have a favorite TV show. It all depends on what category we're talking, because I don't think I compare, can compare like comedies and sitcoms to action, adventure, dramas, and that sort of thing. But just to come up with a couple real quick, I think, I know when I was a teenager, Seinfeld was by far my favorite show. But now that I'm an adult, I've moved on to the adult version of Seinfeld. So I would say Curb Your Enthusiasm is probably my favorite show from a comedy perspective. And then I'll also toss out, uh, there's been a lot of good shows in the last few years that have been knocking on the door of this one. But to this day, I think The Wire still holds my number one spot in the uh, the drama long form category. And uh, I will leave you guys with that. I've got plenty submissions. Uh, guys, keep bringing them. Keep bringing the questions over in the forum. Again, just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your search bar. We also link to that in the show notes of this program, lionsofliberty.com slash 276. I do appreciate you guys hanging in there, checking out this mailbag. Give me your feedback. Do you enjoy this segment? Do you want me to keep bringing it in? I'm going to make this show whatever you guys want it to be, and the more you guys get involved in giving feedback on that, well, the more it's going to cater to your needs. It's really that simple, guys. Uh, until this coming Wednesday, when you have another edition of Brian McWilliams' weekly dose of culture, comedy, and liberty with Electric Liberty Land. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.